0: This podcast is intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, I wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening and also to explain why you might hear ads like this before, during, or even after an episode. We're a small but mighty team here at Realm and to help fund our shows, we promote products or services that we think you'd enjoy from a variety of sponsors. If any of our ads interest you, one of the best ways to support us is by visiting the link or using the promo code in the ad. It's pretty much a win-win since you can get some great deals and we can keep making awesome shows like this one. You can also visit realm.fm partners for more information about our sponsors and how to access the different promotions. Thanks again for joining us in our corner of the universe. Listen away. This show contains strong language and upsetting imagery that may be sensitive for some listeners. We invite you to listen with care, but listen closely, as you will discover that Green Man is a poignant, life-affirming, and even uplifting story. Its resolution is not what it seems.
1: Chapter one. Treetops, radiant green leaves, shimmering when the wind blew, especially now in late spring. If Rayo pressed his cheeks hard against the whitewashed concrete at the head of his bunk and squinted, he could just catch sight of the trees fronting the distant woods through the barred window. Could smell them too, sometimes when the wind was just right. Rich pine when the needle-like leaves were wet with rain White birch when the sun reached its zenith and warmed the fluttery leaf shoots. That is, if Arcady, who seldomly washed his pits or his crotch, wasn't downwind or crawled up like a possum in the lower bunk. Gas rose from Arcady's flesh like an open sewer. Rayo breathed through his mouth most of the time when they were locked down in their eight-by-ten two-man cell. Rayo liked the rich scent of trees and the smell of new-mown grass and of wildflowers shaking their perfumed heads in the breeze. Nature was what freedom smelled like. If he could come back as a living thing in some version of his next life, it would be as an oak tree, a trunk as wide as a 50-gallon drum with gnarly hard branches supporting a canopy of leaves. Better flora than fauna in a world where everyone had a pistol shoved in his waistband, in Rayo's world anyway. Trees can take a bullet and still go on living. Just look at the forest around Getty's Rayo had once seen a documentary in the prison common room about the Civil War, and a detail about the Pennsylvania forest had stayed with him. Century-old trees around the battlefield still wore their bullet holes like a badge of honor, while bullet-ridden soldiers had been eaten to dust by worms years ago. Rayo closed his eyes and drew in a deep breath through his flaring nostrils. He smelled green, deep forest green, the yellow green of new growth, but something else too not so pleasant. The rusty iron at the window bars leaked a metallic odor along with the brick dust. The exterior walls of the cell block crumbling after more than a century of use. The prison was old, as old as when brick was cheap building material. Before cinder blocks, then concrete became cheaper than dirt. What the fuck you doing, Rail? Arcady sniffled and rubbed his runny nose on a fleshy forearm. The fat slob had been born in Kiev, but he tried to talk like an East Coast gangster in the old black-and-white movies. Looking. Looking at what? Nothing. Arkady's smile came out as a wet sneer, seeing as saliva tended to pool in the center crevice of his fleshy lower lip. Gonna miss this place? Nah. Rayo rolled over in his bunk and landed on both feet like a gymnast dismounting from the high bar. Rayo pumped iron and did Tai Chi in the exercise yard. He was as fit as Arcady was fat. Pack up. That got Arcady laughing, which came out like a squeal from a barnyard pig. It was kind of funny now that Rayo thought about it. Prisoners didn't exactly need to pack a suitcase when they departed. A hefty trash bag would do even if you'd been incarcerated for a decade or more. Roll call in the parking lot outside the secure area where only prison vehicles were allowed. The corrections officer, whose bicep looked like Christmas hams wrapped in starched uniform fabric, had a sheet of paper attached to a clipboard. Everybody whose name was barked out answered in the affirmative. It wasn't like they had a choice. Prisoner 3461, Leonid Arcadian. Here. Prisoner 2988, Robert Wesley. Here. Prisoner 1163, Jose Perez. Prisoner 3951, Amos Ferris. Prisoner 2307, DeMonte Jones. Prisoner 2140, Raymond Offerman. Rayo was the last one called and the last aboard. Rayo sat at the back, boxy six passenger vehicle, a uniformed driver and the heavily armed corrections officer up front behind the thick mesh gate. Each prisoner sat alone three on one side of the aisle and three on the other. Each had a metal plate at their feet that had been bolted to the floor of the bus, two metal rings attached to the plate, one for the ankle shackles and one for the wrist shackles that also kept Rayo's handcuffed wrist at waist level, like a short-armed kangaroo. No seat belts, but it's not like they weren't secured to their seats. No talking wasn't allowed, just the sound of twangy country music coming from the radio up front and the rumble of the engine. You failed to keep your mouth shut during transport. You were gagged with a ball the size of a goiter attached to a leather strap, like Hannibal Lecter in one of those psycho movies. Rao wasn't for small talk anyway. He liked to look out the window, at the trees and all the green. The ride was gonna take an hour, maybe longer. The new prison was 60 miles to the north. It took the state about a decade to get it built and up and running. Rao had seen a picture of the new prison. It looked like a bicycle wheel. Dead center was the control center for five inmate pods that branched out like satellites, connected by a walkway to the mothership. Each pod, capable of housing 50 prisoners, electronic locks, automatic doors, heavy plexiglass instead of bars, automated heating and cooling, but no windows to see outside, as far as Rayo could tell. Just an exercise yard with four 18-foot concrete slab walls and a chain-link roof open to the sky. No trees overhead, just clouds, if you were lucky. Rayo had 12 years left to serve on his sentence. He hoped that they had an inmate's garden. Otherwise, he might not be able to keep himself in check. And it was important not to show aggression. It cost him more years instead. He focused on all the green outside the window. More shades of green in nature than he could count. Maybe as many variations of green as words the Eskimos had for snow. At least, that's what Rayo heard once. He didn't read much, his head wasn't right, but he knew some of the names of the shades of green from a color wheel he'd found in a parking lot outside a paint store before he got sent back inside the last time. Green came in shades after fruits and vegetables and nuts and spices, olive, lime, pear, pickle, pistachio, citron, basil, mint. Green animal shades too, crocodile, parakeet, plants of course, myrtle, shamrock, pine, moss, fern, seaweed, juniper, emerald was a stone. He knew that much. But though he could recognize the shade, he didn't know exactly where sea foam came from, seeing as he'd never been to the ocean. But he figured it was self-explanatory. Some shades of green were named after people or man-made things. He looked the words up in an old set of encyclopedias in the prison library one time when he was recovering from a shank wound in the belly. Celadon, The translucent pale green glaze common to some Chinese porcelains was named for some character in an old French novel who always wore green clothes. Rayo liked that one. Hunter green, no explanation needed. Harris green. Rayo thought it must refer to the shutters on the old buildings he had seen on postcards depicting the French city. Or maybe it referred to the patina on the bronze statues that made it look as though lichens had burrowed themselves into the metal surface but the shade actually referred to the toxic powder of the same name used to kill rats. Rayo got a chuckle out of that. Brunswick green was named after the city in Germany where it was first made, easy one. Hooker's green caught Rayo's attention because it was the only shade of green derived from a person's name, some English guy named William Hooker, a botanical illustrator and the official artist of the Horticultural Society of London. Hooker invented his particular shade, a deep yellow, because he primarily painted fruit on the bough, like green apples. Fuck me, Rayo had thought when he'd read that. What kind of crazy jobs do guys have in the old days? And he'd had to look up six words in the dictionary to get the gist of the story of Hooker's Green. Learning about Green was better than a word of the day calendar. He played a version of Green Eye Spy in his head, seeking out all the shades of green in the forest and the fields that they passed, being careful not to move his lips like a mumbling idiot so as not to draw attention to himself. Shamrock green, Brunswick green, the deep, deep, dark green of a haunted forest, Rayo imagined. Fern green, a sedan on the other side of the highway, Toyota green. Okay, maybe he was cheating a bit. Those new leaves on that distant tree were definitely Hooker's green. Rayo didn't see it coming, whatever it was. He had his forehead pressed to the window eyes hungrily taking in all the subtle shades in the passing green landscape. Then, they were suddenly spinning. The transport van spinning across the pavement like one of those teacup rides at the country fair. Tires squealing, prisoner shackles rattling until they became airborne. Somebody screamed like an injured piglet. It had to be Arcady somewhere up toward the front. They hit the ground with a thud that jarred Rayo down to his bones. The metal roof screeched something awful as it dented inward, and they rolled again and again, skimming the ground like a flat stone on a lake's surface. Rayo couldn't grab hold of anything because his hands were locked at waist level, but he shoved his knees into the seat in front of him, wedging them there with his thigh muscles, somehow managing to keep from being jerked around like a ragdoll on a string, When they finally smashed into the trees that wouldn't give way, the van groaned, rocked a few times and was still, resting on its side, weirdly silent for a moment except for the twangy country music still playing on the radio and the sound of dripping water, maybe, maybe blood. Rayo didn't know. He was sprawled sideways across the worn vinyl seat. The glass had broken out of his passenger window, but the bars were still intact. The right shoulder throbbed, so did his right hip from smashing into the side of the van as it rolled. From the angle of his position, He couldn't see anyone else in the van. He didn't know if the others were alive or dead. All he could think about was what he could see at his feet. Something had ripped open the metal flooring like a can opener. He could see daylight and trees. The plate that attached him to the floorboards had torn off and both U-hooks had popped open. Mayo didn't even think, he just acted on instinct. He quickly unhooked his leg shackles and the chain attached to his waist from the U-hooks and wiggled through the opening. His bare arms were slick with blood, but he couldn't tell if he was hurt bad or not. Adrenaline blocked pain receptors better than oxy any day of the week. His canvas-shoed feet hit the dirt. His knees buckled and he fell backwards onto his ass. He smelled gasoline and burning rubber and a metallic odor, maybe blood. The only part of the van he could see was the undercarriage, with its still spinning tires the jagged metal hole where Rayo's feet had been. The highway wasn't visible from where they'd ended up, but he could hear the downshifting of semis pulling to the verge, and loud voices. Somebody shouted, Down there! Rayo couldn't see anybody up that way. Not yet. He somehow managed to get back on his feet. The chain connecting his belt shackles to his ankles had snapped. So had the shuffle chain, the restraint keeping his legs four inches apart. He could run if his legs weren't broken. Rao ran. He managed to reach the forest and disappear into the trees before anybody caught sight of him. Even with his hands belted in front of him, he could run like a steeplechaser, hurtling fallen logs, dodging trees. He ran until his lungs felt like they were on fire, but he didn't think he'd run that far. Adrenaline had jacked his metabolism up too high and he was burning oxygen like jet fuel. He slowed and fell to his knees. He could feel wet soil seeping through the knees of his pant legs. He could smell it too. Fresh and loamy, fertile and dark. He pitched forward onto his left shoulder, the one that wasn't throbbing like a motherfucker, and rolled over onto his back. His chest heaved. He had to breathe through his open mouth to get enough air into his lungs. It took a lot of control not to gulp in oxygen. He didn't want to go lightheaded. It took a while, but his breathing slowed. So did his heart rate. The view above mesmerized him. Thick tree trunks shot up toward the sky where mighty branches spread out, reaching toward sunlight, their leaves dancing and swaying in the breeze. Pale blue sky, luminous green leaves, and silence. But for the twitter of the birds and the soft rustle of the leaves, he could die here and have no regrets. The sound of an engine, the deep, raspy growl of a truck, not a semi, but not a pickup either, bigger, maybe a 2 time. He rolled over onto his stomach, lay like a soldier in foliage behind enemy lines, saw a break in the trees up ahead, a road maybe. It had to be a hard-packed dirt road since he couldn't hear the rubber tires swishing and popping gravel on pavement. He could hear the engine gears grind as the truck downshifted, slowing. He saw the chipped chrome grill first, an old truck hauling logs on a flatbed, slowly slowing down as they rounded the corner their red flagged load of fresh cut logs hanging off the back. They say your life flashes before your eyes when death is imminent, like the moment when someone pointing a gun at your head pulls the trigger, but before the bullet turns your skull to shards of bone. Just like that. Series of inevitable events leading to his reapprehension flash through Rayo's mind in a split second. Within the next few minutes, the cops for highway patrol or whoever rolled up on the scene of the accident would find one of the prisoners was missing. Armed men would flood the woods, tracking dogs too, probably, and a helicopter overhead with one of those sensors that showed heat emitting living creatures. Even if you concealed yourself or even buried yourself in a pit, he'd be captured or shot on sight, even if his escape wasn't planned or even his fault. If he lived, he'd probably end up in solitary confinement at the new prison for six months or more. No yard time, No green anywhere in sight. Just colorless concrete walls and overhead fluorescent light. Fuck that. No way he was going to give up. Walk back and turn himself in? Not a chance. The risk was worth it. Rayo sprinted towards the road as the cab passed by. Two guys inside, big guys wearing lumberjack coats, neither looking his way. Carrying a pouch of chewing tobacco, eyes on the narrow curve up ahead. The greatest risk was the exposed strip of open space between the edge of the road and the back of the truck, maybe eight feet where he'd be visible as a toad on the sidewalk. Rayo made it to the middle of the road in two strides and abruptly turned and ran after the truck. He'd glimpsed the driver in the rear view as he'd run. The driver, eyes focused through the front windshield, hadn't seen him. Rayo dove onto the logs and hung on as the truck accelerated as the road straightened out. He squeezed his body between a couple of logs that were held apart by the splintery knob of a sawed-off branch. He pressed his body lengthwise against the log, the scent of sap so thick in his nostrils that he almost couldn't breathe. He became a log, too, rocking a bit with the motion of the truck. The problem was, anybody coming up in a vehicle behind them would see the soles of his canvas shoes as clear as day. If that happened, freedom would be short-lived. Maybe life itself would be short-lived. Pardon the stupid pun. He ran his shackled hands over the rough bark, pads of his fingers as attentive as a blind man reading braille, savoring the moments he had left. Then he felt something metal. He explored it with his fingers, a long-handled branch trimmer. Fuck me, almost as good as a bolt cutter. He fumbled on his back, using his feet and knees to position the jawed blade and managed to snap through the chain, securing his hands to his waist. His hands were still connected at the wrist by a six-inch chain, but it was something. A slow swerve as the truck sailed onto the paved frontage road, and then onto the on-ramp to the highway. One log rolled a couple of inches, straining against the strapping, nearly crushing him against the adjacent log, but it rolled back as they entered the highway. Rayo lifted his head so he could see over the tops of his shoes, but there was no traffic behind them, not a single car. And the sight of the accident, which was around the curb, wasn't visible. Even the driver looking into his rear view wouldn't know something had happened. Just open highway behind them, green grass on the wide median, and the surrounding forest. Traffic on the other side was backing up, brake lights flaring, looky-loos, or maybe the traffic cops had stopped traffic on both sides. Clearly an accident somewhere behind them, but he doubted the two lumberjacks noticed or even cared. Shit happened. They had a load to deliver. The luck of the draw. For once, Rayo had drawn a full house. Rayo counted the mile markers on the opposite side of the road. One, two, three, 17 miles, give or take. A good half an hour lying among the rocking logs until the truck pulled off the highway, crossed over to the other side of an overpass and pulled into a rest stop with a trucker's diner. Rayo held the branch trimmer to his chest, like a crusader knight holding a sword on top of his tomb. A tool could become a weapon based on how you used it, and if you were willing to, Rayo figured he'd cross that bridge when he came to it. Rayo didn't have to sweat it. The lumberjacks sought out a place to park at the far perimeter of a gravel parking lot, boot soles hitting the ground, truck doors slamming, the snick of a lighter, brief scent of lit cigarette, and the pair was walking away toward the diner. They didn't look back. Rail counted to 100 before he wiggled out from between the logs, clutching the branch trimmer to his chest, sprinted to the forest abutting the gravel parking lot without anyone noticing.
0: Green Man, created by Cassie Wells and Dave Beasley, starring Scoot McNary. Post-production sound by Joe Morales and Elftree Studio, a Haywood production.